Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. Hello, and uh, welcome to Noble with Jason Noble. My guest today is Dee Pfeiffer. Uh, Dee is the Executive Director of People and Culture at uh, Route This. She's a uh, people and culture leader with a couple of decades of experience. Her industry experience ranges from CPG to retail to more recently the tech startup and scale-up space. She's a Western University grad with a post-grad certificate in HR management from Sheridan College. She generally loves people, which is why she does what she does, but she equally loves solitude and living in a small town in Southwestern Ontario. She's a passionate people leader and coach. On the personal side, she's the mom of two girls, a lover of the outdoors, and uh, lives her best life when she can be introverted most of the time. Dee, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. And uh, hopefully I did uh, an okay job on that intro. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) All right. So... uh, so I appreciate your time. Um, what I'd like to do is uh, I'm, I'm really interested in um, some of the things you've done in your background, particularly I'd, I'd love to find out a little bit about the uh, work from Anywhere 90 program that you developed. Can, can you tell um, our listeners a little bit about what it is and then also the benefits? Absolutely. So uh, it is a program that uh, I rolled out at a previous organization that happened to be remote, but uh, definitely works in different organizations. So we call it WFA 90. So work from anywhere up to 90 days. And so of course, anywhere comes with a little bit of a caveat, but essentially, and I'll talk about that in a second, but essentially it's just giving employees the ability to kind of get out into the world and combine both work and vacation so that they can go and, you know, work from somewhere that is not where they normally uh, work from. So different countries, different uh, places within Canada too. Um, And so it just was a, a bit of a response to a request that came out of COVID when people were getting back out into the world and really needing to to experience vacations. We all had a big pause on going cool places. And so it was a response to how as an employer can we actually make that happen and and let people kind of get back out there and be able to work and play at the same time. So how do you, so one of the things I I hear about from different people is, you know, there's some people on the side of, um, you know, want to get people in the office to make sure that, you know, someone's doing the work. And then you got on the opposite end saying, well, you know, people can work from anywhere, but, but there's always the issue about, well, how do you make sure someone's actually doing the work? So, so how do you, how do you manage that as part of that program? It's a great question. And I would say that's one of the key barriers for a lot of organizations looking into it. So going back a few years, right? Productivity was largely managed by presence in the office, right? So management style was such that you needed to be able to sort of see your people and interact with them in order to know what they were doing. And I think the beauty of what um, moving towards work from home, even before the pandemic, and now certainly coming out of it is, we've realized it's really more about your output in your job. So to be honest, I think work got a lot harder for leaders, right? Because now they have to actually really tap into and be aware of what's the output of my team rather than I don't need to just kind of 
not that they were checking over shoulders, but you could, you could walk up, right? And so I'm, I'm reminded of that commercial way back in the day of the steaming cup, a cup of coffee on the desk. It was a fake one. And that was kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm here early for work. Uh, so gone are the days of your, you know, physical presence being needed in an office to evaluate whether you're, you're, you're doing a great job or not, right? So I think there was a time when, uh, early to work was was an award. Uh, and so that's now gone. It's about, you know, are you actually outputting? So to answer your question, I think to make it work, you really have to have a leadership team that is putting in the work up front to understand what the output of their team needs to look like when they're being successful. And the opposite, they need to know what it what it looks like when team members are not doing well. And oftentimes in a remote environment, leaders kind of are like, oh, I haven't heard from Joe for a while. And his green ball on Slack is not, it's not coming up often. And that, so we're, we're, that sort of leadership is, is not good either. You need to actually be intentional, be in touch with your team, have, you know, structured times in the day or in the week where you come together and you can talk about progress and what you're working on. I think that's what employees want more anyways. They don't want somebody that's, you know, checking a box. I was here at at 10 to the hour, <laughs> they, they want to know that what they're doing is contributing to something. And so I think it's just a different type of leadership. So what have you found is a, an effective way of, of managing people? Because some people need a lot of management. They just, they need that push. And then there's other people that just don't. So in, in terms of um, having managers manage remote employees, what have you found to be effective? You have to really get to know the individuals as human beings, first and foremost. And that's harder in a remote environment because gone are the times of water cooler or coffee, organic chit chat that happens. You have to be really intentional as a leader. And so I actually think it begins even before the person starts. So if you're hiring someone, it's it's the pre-boarding, you know, as a hiring leader, are you connecting in with that person virtually or async even, right? Using great tools out there like Vidyard when you can, uh, you know, record yourself and welcome an employee. And you've got to, you have to look for creative ways to establish a relationship. So building trust is not as easy as bringing in Timbits on Friday morning. <laughs> Timbits do work though. Like, I love the Timbits. I'm here for it. But uh, now they need to be delivered by uh, DoorDash, but you can still do that. So I think yeah. you have to be creative, right? You've got to. And so leadership is not just about, you know, having heads that report to you. It's like, I need to actually figure out how to get to know this human being and what makes them tick because I'm not going to have those organic opportunities in the office. So not sure if that's um, super specific, but it does take a, an investment on the part of the leaders. So I think leaders that, uh, you know, really genuinely want to get to know their people and what makes them tick and how do I tap into that and how do I maximize what they're good at? They do a fabulous job of that and they really thrive in a remote environment. Leaders that are more sort of, hey, um, you know, I was bored being an individual contributor. I did that for a long time. And so now I've earned the right to be a manager. They're the ones that probably have a harder time because the investment in people is different than it was 10 years ago, even five years ago, I would say. So yeah, mm -hmm. to answer your question, successful leaders just have to get super creative about how they're going to tap into talent and get to know people and build trust. 
So how did you how did you measure success, and what did you find were the benefits with work from ninety, especially yeah. in particular? So. Yeah. Uh, how did we measure success? Uh, so being in a remote environment was pretty cool. We were a very Slack driven organization when I rolled this out. And so part of how we measured success was how many people actually took us up on actually combining work and vacation. And uh, we celebrated them. Actually, we asked them, like, take a selfie of wherever, like the coolest place you were. So we had, you know, one young lady take a picture of herself in the desert uh, another in the mountains, another in a jungle. And so it's oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was super cool. Good way to kind of like, hey, also the the fun, I think the most fun one was the guy in the jungle that, you know, still had his laptop visible in the, <laughs> in the, in the in shot. A jungle. I, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine there was a lot of Wi-Fi going on in, in a jungle. Right? Well, that was one of the requirements. So there was, <laughs> there li- literally was Wi-Fi. And so the other cool thing was we had uh, on Friday afternoons, uh, weekly meeting that's virtual, but everybody's cameras are on, right? So you saw okay. all whatever, 50 people. And pretty cool to see, you know, one guy in Mexico, one in the jungle, one wherever. So some of that, you know, kind of a softer way to measure success. But, you know, those folks that went were longer service being tech. Um, They also were great at their jobs and they were still chugging stuff out from everywhere. So the other piece of it was and, you know, it's not as easy as you're allowed to just work from anywhere on your own timeline. There were certainly some frameworks within which we had to have people work, one of which was Eastern Standard Time Zone for us. So that was, you know, that's that's just how we worked and people were willing to do it. And so um, and that's why the combining vacation and work was a good idea, right? Take a longer weekend, do what you have to do. So how we measured success is are they still able to uh, provide us with the work that they needed to in, to in time that they needed to? And were they still participating in the sort of company and business rhythms while while they were elsewhere? Uh, the answer to that was yes. And so it was pretty cool to see people do that. We celebrated them too. We kind of, we had some fun. And for those of us like myself, I haven't gotten on a plane since before COVID. So living vicariously through somebody working from Mexico or wherever, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's as good as it gets. Yeah. Well, you got to get on an airplane now. You got to travel somewhere, right? It's coming. I'm hoping this fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So let's uh, let's shift a little bit. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, uh, current uh, big issue right now going on with uh, layoffs. A lot of companies obviously downsizing. I've gone through a downsizing. I know you've gone through one. Uh, I've been on both sides. So like I, uh, like I said, going through one, I've also unfortunately had to let people go. So um, employees sometimes take it personally, uh, unfortunately. Um, what advice would you give them? in terms of managing transition through a layoff? It's a great question. Uh, I've thought a lot about this being, as you said, I've been on both sides. Uh, Most recently had to restructure half of my organization, myself included. I was, I was kind of the last one out of, of the group. So um, this advice is coming from a place of I've been in your shoes, which maybe will make it more, Mm -hmm. uh, more weighty, but I think when I think about the advice I'd love to give to people who are impacted by restructures or layoffs, whatever you want to call it, is you're given the gift of time. It might not be as long as you want, but take that time and regroup. So in that time, though, don't regroup 
with your fingers. And what I mean by that is don't go through the steps of grief or emotion on social media or over email or over text. I think those emotions are, you know, valid and they need to be worked through. But for folks that unfortunately channel that energy into communicating it outward, that can oftentimes have a really negative impact. So my first advice is a do not do in it. So do not (laughs) grieve with your fingers, but do take that gift of time and take time to regroup. And so I think that oftentimes uh, as a, as an HR professional, I'm expecting some people to come back and ask questions. Can you tell me why, you know, help me understand this. And so if as an employee that's been impacted, um, and then I guess as a former employee that's been impacted, if you still have questions that would help you as a person to manage through it better, ask, reach out to that HR person that gave you their contact information in that termination letter and ask those questions. Sometimes that can be really helpful for people. So I, I encourage that big time. I think um, the other piece of advice I have um, is something that I did a big eye roll to when I was restructured many years ago. I was given outplacement. And uh, quite frankly, I was like, what is outplacement going to do for me? I know how to write a resume. I'm in HR. And uh, (laughs) so now going through that, I can wholeheartedly say, take advantage of it. Like your employer, your former employer is paying for a service um, and I'll tell you, even even now, I think it is a super valuable resource that oftentimes people are like, I don't really want to talk to a stranger about my resume or whatever, but it's so much more than that. It's such a great step in the right direction. Gives you something to do too in that first time period where you're really struggling with, I'm not getting up mm-hmm. and going to work. What, what am I going to do? You know what you're mm-hmm. going to do? You're going to get on the phone with your outplacement uh, advisor and you're going to create a plan and, and get moving ahead. I, I think that's great advice. And um, it almost seems like the person could be almost like a coach. So what I mean by that is, you know, a coach is someone who steps back and is able to assess what you're doing and provide some constructive feedback in order to help write the ship, so to speak. So someone who's there to help you write your resume, provide job search advice, whatever it is, the outplacement service. Um, yeah, what you said makes sense because, yeah, that person can take a step back, has seen it before and maybe has some valuable advice to get you on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. And they that's that's what they do for a living. So there's no mm-hmm. judgment, right? They're paid yeah. whether or not you participate. And so yeah. sometimes that resource and and honestly, there's some great virtual outplacement uh, organizations out there as well that it might not be a human on the other end of the line either. If you're like me, you know, you started this podcast reading about me being an introvert, right? If I if I can read and click a button first, like, let me do that. And so there are organizations that do that too. But I think, you know, the art of connection and networking and resume writing, all those things, it's constantly changing. So why not use experts that are like, that's what they do for a job. Um, yeah. That's important. Yeah. Makes sense. Let's, uh, let's shift a little bit into, I know you're big on... Um people strategy. Um, you, um, you've, you know, you've created, you've helped build a culture. Um, talk to me about how you go about developing a people culture and how you work with the rest of the executive team to go about defining that, getting buy-in and implementing it. 
It's a big question, so I'll just give you, you know, a couple stories, I guess. I think <laughs> fifty thousand foot yeah, level. You know, we're not going to go into a lot of details. Right? <laughs> Don't monetize my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how do I go about it? I think, you know, way back in the day when I started in HR, I worked for a big power tool company, and I was pretty green in my career, and kind of came in and was like, "Yeah, business. I understand business." Um, but I didn't understand power tools. And so therefore I didn't understand the people that were selling the power tools and learned very quickly that the <clears> first <throat> thing you have to do to understand any culture, or any business is actually understand like boots on the ground. What does your organization do? Whether that's in tech or, uh, I've worked in beer, I've worked in power tools, as I said, um, retail it's you, you have to invest some time. It does not matter how strategic of a leader you are you are there because of the humans. And so if you don't understand what the humans do in a day, you're going to be unsuccessful. So first thing I do is really kind of get deep into the business side of things, spend some time. Uh, Power Tools days, it was put on your safety shoes and get in a truck with, uh, you know, a, a branded sales rep and go out on the road and, and see what they do. It was a pretty cool experience. I've carried that with me 20 plus years um, into my career, and I still do that to some extent. Uh, I will say a delight in tech. There's no, there's no putting on safety shoes now, but still kind of getting to know what, what are you faced with, right? What does that look you, like? So you don't miss the safety shoes. I do not miss the safety shoes. <laughs> there are no cute safety shoes. I can say that for, um, yeah. So I think it's really understanding that piece. And then to answer your question about how do I, you know, partner with the leadership team, I'm big into one-to-ones. I call them meet and greets. People have different experiences with HR, so they all come at it from a very different angle. Some are really excited to talk my ear off. Some are like, my experience with HR was not good, so I'm going to hold my cards close to my chest. And so I have to invest a lot of time in leadership teams individually, uh, starting usually with the CEO and whoever else is the sort of secondhand person and understanding what's their vision. Because you can create whatever culture in, on paper or in your mind that you think is awesome. But at the end of the day, if the couple of people at the very top aren't aligned or it's not how they naturally are, uh, it's not going to jive. So you really have to get to know kind of that the culture that happens at the very top. So I do, I spend a lot of time in one-to-ones and uh, my one-to-ones as an HR partner are 50% about what's happening in the business. Like what's your biggest barrier right now? What would you love to see change? Like just asking, so just being curious. I'm just a very curious person as I'm sure you are. That's the line of work you're in. Um, I script myself in advance. What questions am I going to ask? And then the other 50% is tell me about your people challenges. So I translate it into people and culture type of questions. Um, then from there, you just kind of got to figure out what did what do employees want too. So what are your data points? I'm a big data person. So if you don't have an employee engagement score or well-being surveys or whatever, you, you got to start to gather that. And some of that looks like actually tapping into exit. Exit interviews provide great data. Wish we didn't have to use that data, but it's great mm-hmm. insight into what needs to change and um, or even be established in a culture. So those are kind of some of the places I start. Um, yeah, so I'll pause there. You probably have some questions, but that's where I start. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, yeah, because one one of the um, so you know when you're in a startup, obviously culture is very fluid. You, the you know the person or the people who start the business have an idea about how it should look, but ultimately, as you bring in more and more people, you get more diversity. But you're trying to still align to that um, that uh, I guess a common culture is what I'm trying to say, and it, it's it can be difficult sometimes to corral everyone together into that one piece, that one culture piece. And, you know, companies have things like, you know, they say, well, we, you know, work from home or this or this, whatever it is, but still um, working with, I guess, working with employees and then executive leadership, like, how do you, because you said you've been in startups. So from a startup perspective, how do you, how do you, I guess, corral everyone together how do you get that buy-in from everyone and make sure that that culture um is not only stays fluid but also uh is consistent with what you know the business is trying to achieve that's a great question i think i'm not sure that culture is necessarily fluid i think that culture is what it is and so uh, your leaders. So in the example I'm going to use, you know, when your when your CEO is super structured in their approach to meetings, for example, that is going to happen in the culture, whether it is what you have written on paper or not. And so part of it, it is just embracing what those things are. And so sometimes it's as easy as articulating what is it that makes us weird? What what makes us different? Right. Like what what is that thing that that is sticky about our culture that people want to stay for? And so back to being curious, you've got to ask those questions and figure out a couple of things. So, um, you know, one example is I can think of my, my last company that was startup and awesome. One of their cultural norms that was not written down anywhere. I don't think anyone intentionally did this. It was camera on all the time. So any meeting you were having virtually, your camera was on. We didn't have to tell people that. We just did that. Mm -hmm. Now, go flash forward to when you have a hiring blitz and you're bringing in people to your point from large organizations or who have never worked remotely. Um, they Then they're kind of like, oh, wish someone told me that it was camera on. I didn't know I had to do my hair on Friday afternoons to look presentable. <laughs> And so you start to really, I think the easiest way is when you think through the lens of someone who's new here, what would they need to know about those cultural norms? Um, you build training programs, you build cultural norms um, that just make sense for that culture. So how you corral really has to do with how you bring in new folks and how you onboard them. So it's really important to figure out uh, another piece I would say, which is who are your uh, ambassadors? I'm smiling because I often call them mascots. Who are your mascots? The people that just naturally exude whatever the thing about your culture is. And how do you use those people strategically? And they're everywhere, right? And in, in any company, you can think about, oh yeah, that person was so company X. Um, who are they? And how can I really exploit what they do naturally? Oftentimes it's just having them as an onboarding buddy or make sure that that person is the one that uh, does a training video for people that are new. Um, yeah, just kind of putting them out in front of folks that would need to know what those culture norms are. And uh, last thing 
to uh, just talk about today is uh, your HR approach. So I, I, talk to me about Start With Yes. I'd like to hear a little bit about it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you had asked me what's unique about me, and I really had to think through this one. And um, funny enough, I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of folks that have reported to me over the years. So they'll probably, if any of them listen to this, kind of smile. But uh, I am a little different than the average HR Joe. And so when I had to think about why that is, it's um, a lot of it has to do with approach that I think, look, back in the day, HR was put in place because we needed policies, we needed frameworks, we needed, I think we just needed order uh, where the people were concerned. And so uh, I think what we discovered along the way, though, is uh, human beings are complicated creatures. And so you can write whatever you want in a policy and it's not going to apply to 100% of the people. So what I learned is, in fact, most policies or programs are really designed for 5% of people that don't instinctively know how to behave in whatever circumstance. And so that's really shaped my my business partnership as an HR person. And so I think in order to be a trusted partner and to get it, you have to really figure that as an HR person, being a brick wall or even being a large speed bump is not always effective for the business. It gives you great things to say yes to on an audit um, or to you know customer inquiries and all those kinds of things, but it's not always a good way to partner. And so my thinking has shifted over the years such that if someone comes to me with a wild idea, we'll go back to work from anywhere 90, right? Hey, can we do this thing? Uh, The old school HR in me would be like, nope, we have a policy that says you must be bum in seat from nine till five, Monday to Friday. (laughs) And if you are not, here's the consequences. But but new new HR me, I guess, or uh, how I approach things is start with yes. So that wild idea of like, how can we allow people to work from wherever they want for 90 days? It's like, okay, I'm going to start by saying yes. And let me figure out what the barriers could be, or let me figure out who I need to partner with to to make this actually happen. That's not to say that it is a yes answer to everything, um, because that's not appropriate for an HR partner either. But (laughs) at least I've kind of, I've done my due diligence. And I think when, when you then have to say no to someone, which does happen, right? If you have to go back and say, I'm so sorry, but it's not, it's not looking like it can work. I can genuinely say it's because of these things, right? I tried to say yes. <laughs> and so here's the, the barriers. So that's really yeah. kind of my, my start with yes. Um, I just think it allows people a different experience with HR that's less prickly. It's less rules oriented, but it really still gets at the same thing. It's just a different approach to people. Perfect. Dee, thank you so much. You're welcome. Really, really appreciate your time. Uh, Before we go, um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what would be the best way? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Deidre Pfeiffer, and uh, or yeah, social media. I'm Dee Doing Life on Instagram. Happy to (laughs) happy to connect with people. Okay, and I'll put uh, I'll put a little bit I'll put that info in the show notes. Perfect. So if someone wants to reach your LinkedIn profile, they can just click in uh, and reach you through that. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions, or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.